Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I take full responsibility for everything this government has been doing in tackling coronavirus, and I'm very proud of our record. Tens of thousands of our citizens have died avoidably. These were unnecessary deaths because of systematic government misconduct. With good British common sense, we will continue to defeat this virus and take this country forward. There are a lot of green shoots of opportunity on the horizon. You know, we've been held down on the forest floor for far too long, and we will reach that canopy again. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster this fine Wednesday, your daily guide to British politics as ever. I'm Sebastian Salik. Good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepkett. Seb, you sound in fine fettle. I wonder whether you're taking inspiration from the government uh, rolling out this new announcement, £12 billion plan, including at least £3 billion of new money to boost green industries and tackle climate change. So the Prime Minister says that this plan will create or support as many as 250,000 jobs. It also means that there will be a ban on the sale of petrol and diesel cars being brought forward more than a decade early to 2030. Yes, very ambitious. We'll certainly ruffle a few feathers, though. This so-called green industrial revolution, Edmund King from the motoring group, the AA, says particularly about the diesel cars plan, it's unrealistic. Well, everyone wants to move to electric vehicles, but you can't just pick a date out of the air. We need better infrastructure. We also need a better supply of cars and they need to be affordable. That was the AA responding to part of this 10-point plan from the government. We also heard from Greenpeace, the UK head of politics, welcomed the announcement broadly, but highlighted that it leaves significant gaps. And of course, we have the issue that many people can't afford an electric car. They're still relatively new technology. They're still quite expensive. The business secretary, Alok Sharma, though, says that should change within a few years. The reality, of course, is that we need to get the price down. And the way you get the price down is have economies of scale. You build more of these cars. Uh, And so we think by the mid-2020s, there will be parity in terms of price between uh, electric vehicles and non-electric vehicles. So that was uh, Alok Sharma there. The government trying to turn over a new leaf, focus on the path forwards. Joining us now to discuss this and many more issues, Stephen Farry, Alliance MP for North Down. Welcome to the programme, Stephen. Hi. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you for being with us. I want to start on this green agenda. First of all, we're in the midst of the pandemic. Uh, we have to focus on reviving the economy. This sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Twelve billion pounds, two hundred fifty thousand new jobs. What do you make of it? Well, I think it's, it's an encouraging start. Um, I think we do need to see exactly how much of this is genuine uh, new money and also look at it the other way around and, and see is this going to be sufficient itself to, to set the UK on a, a path towards uh, a, a serious reduction in carbon emissions and, and what the impact's going to be in terms of when we can hit that, that, that net zero uh, point. I think the other aspect that's worth considering as well is that we have to... Um, 
almost uh, see this now in the context of what is going to be the post-COVID society. It's quite clear we, we, we can't go back to the way things were um, prior uh, to the, the, the pandemic. But we also know that there's been a whole range of societal changes that, are, that have now happened, some which may become fairly permanent uh, and may indeed actually help us in terms of how we can actually uh, meet these targets. For example, will we see an increase in terms of people working from home? Will that mean there's less pressure in terms of, of transport and uh, therefore uh, carbon emissions? How does that factor in uh, to, mm. to people's uh, people's plans? And yeah. also there's clearly a need to, to rebuild the economy uh, and uh, there's areas, for example, around um, the installation of homes uh, where there's huge potential for uh, a lot of employment to be created. I mean, does all of this sound realistic to you though? I mean, we were talking about banning petrol and diesel cars by 2030, that's less than a decade's time, it's 10 years earlier than France and they're also talking about things like zero emission plates which sound fantastical at this stage. Do you think this stuff is actually going to happen? Well, I think it is important that there is, there is ambition in this regard. And, I mean, you can ask the question, I mean, is this realistic and doable? I mean, to turn it on its head, the, the, the issue is what happens if we don't take these measures? What is the impact going to be in terms of the planet? What's the impact going to be on, on society and the economy in the UK um, more directly as well? So, I mean, the, these are things that we have to do as a society. There's no escaping those. Uh, and, indeed, I mean, there will be some people who take a view that it's important that we invest in, in things that um, were we change our lifestyles in effect. There are other areas that are maybe trying to accommodate existing lifestyles, such as what we do around emissions in terms of of, 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 of aerospace, uh, where there's a working assumption that people still will still be flying, perhaps in even greater numbers than they are at present, if we if we see the, the current levels of growth and continuing but, into the future. But, notwithstanding but does that 12 the, billion the go far have. enough? Well, I guess that's the big question, and um, we, we do need to really wait and see how people crunch the numbers on this and see is it going to take us to where we need to be in terms of the reduction uh, in terms of, of carbon emissions in particular. I mean, we note uh, we are due to see an autumn statement from the Chancellor over in I think sometime next week, um, and that may again further give clarity as to exactly what is on the table in this regard. Mm, absolutely. The government uh, figures, though, um, around this issue already point to much more cash being needed to make that big change. Look, on the virus issue, though, the other thing uh, that, that dogs us, um, restrictions will be eased in Northern Ireland from Friday. Is that too early in your view? Yes, um, well, it's a partial um, relaxation. Yes. Um, some things uh, this Friday, some things uh, next Friday. Um, there's been huge difficulties in terms of the, the Northern Ireland executive in, in that regard. Uh, Northern Ireland, alongside both Wales and Scotland, uh, moved uh, earlier than uh, the UK government with respect to England uh, in terms of, in effect, this, this second uh, lockdown. So we, we moved in the middle of, middle of October for an initial four-week period, which expired uh, last week. Uh, the medical and scientific advice to the Northern Ireland executives suggested that at least a further two weeks was required, uh, but that led to a major split in the Northern Ireland executive where four parties out of the five in the, the, the uh, mandatory coalition system we, we have uh, wanted to see uh, that two-week extension granted. The, the DUP uh, took a different view, wanted to reopen everything um, last Friday, so there was this compromise worked out uh, of, a, of a partial um, opening up. Uh, it's likely that we are going to receive 
receive uh, further uh, health advice over the coming days to, to suggest that further measures may be required uh, into December. So th- this is an incredibly difficult balancing act and it's mm-hmm. difficult for any government uh, to make any assumptions uh, too far in advance as to what can open or yeah. not reopen. Well, I mean, speaking of looking far ahead, I mean, it's not even that far now. It's creeping up on us like it does every year. I'm talking about Christmas. Um, Do you think that things are going to be okay in Northern Ireland? Are families going to be able to mix? Or is the virus going to have enough time between the end of the restrictions and Christmas to pick up speed again? Well, I think that remains a very uh, open and uncertain uh, question at this stage. Um, I think certainly the harder we hit things at this uh, moment in time uh, and not re- and avoid a, re- a premature relaxation, the better the chance of, uh, of allowing some degree of a Christmas uh, to, to proceed. Um, the other aspect of this is not just the, the level of restrictions or, 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 or lack of uh, around Christmas, it's how the, the four nations of the UK can coordinate uh, their actions. And coordination hasn't always been that, that good between the, the different jurisdictions over the past uh, number of months but there are issues around for example the, the uh, travel particularly for people like students uh, mm. and also that they having some sort of commonality around what is allowed or not allowed in terms of household mixing uh, around Christmas uh, to make sure that people are very clear on, on the rules what, as to what they can and cannot do uh, around Christmas in particular because obviously it is at the time mm. of the year when families want to come together and or people want to catch up with friends maybe haven't seen uh, throughout the the rest of the year. Yeah, absolutely. And the clock is ticking down uh, towards that. Um, look, on Brexit, lots of noise about uh, a deal, potentially as soon as next week. Are you optimistic that a deal between the UK and the EU will uh, be agreed? Well, I'm probably uh, probably 60-40 uh, in thinking that there will be a deal. But in some sense, the question is, what is the deal going to be? Is the deal going to be uh, good enough? And probably at this 11th hour, um, any deal is going to be fairly superficial, um, almost not to, to tick a box, to, to almost uh, give the impression that progress has been made. Uh, and I think there's going to be a lot of uh, areas left out. There's going to be a lot of questions still remaining. And there will be a need for further negotiations on future relations issues uh, over the coming months um, beyond that. And also the the issue isn't just about whether there's a deal or not, it's it's whether governments across the UK are going to be ready in time for something that's going to happen in in terms of six weeks. And I know in particular that the issues with respect to the Northern Ireland Protocol and the movement of goods across the RAC, there are huge issues uh, on which we we still don't have clarity. Um, There is no prospect at this stage, we're, 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 we're uh, told by, by government uh, uh, that the, the, the various inspection posts mm-hmm. will be operational in time uh, to actually uh, handle uh, the checks that are required. So we are facing into a, a real risk of chaos uh, come the, the, the beginning of January, regardless of whether there's a date or not. And I mean, on the point of the Northern Ireland Protocol, what about the UK internal market bill? There's been uproar from various parts of the union around what it does to the the relationship between the various parts of the union. Um, A lot of reference to threatening the Good Friday Agreement. Is that something that you're concerned about? Yeah, and I mean, there's two aspects to this. I mean, one is the, the general point around devolution, which is an issue for Scotland and Wales as well as Northern Ireland, uh, where I think this is uh, it's too much of an overly centralised approach in terms of trying to address the issues around the, the UK, UK internal market. 
But the biggest controversy, of course, has been the, the threat uh, to, to the Good Friday Agreement. Um, the, we, this is an entirely self-defeating and, and uh, counterproductive move by the, the government because until they uh, are prepared to remove the, the offending clauses, uh, there won't be a future relationship agreement uh, either negotiated or certainly ratified by the European Parliament. And it also closes off the prospect of a trade deal uh, with, with the United States. And the irony, of course, is that the government are uh, trying to justify this uh, mm. as something that's required to protect the Good Friday Agreement, when it's actually nothing of the sort. It actually undermines the, the Good Friday Agreement. Uh, the view that the government have taken is very much at odds with the majority view uh, in Northern Ireland, and the view of the European Union, and the view of the, of the United States. So um, the, 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 the arguments being put forward, I think, are most dis- disingenuous on the, on the part of ministers. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics and a bit of breaking news. Keir Starmer deciding against allowing Jeremy Corbyn to return to the Parliamentary Labour Party. So he can't sit as a Labour MP. He had been readmitted as a Labour member. That's a separate process. Remember, he was expelled following that report into anti-Semitism, particularly his response to the report. Speaking after uh, his decision, Starmer said the disciplinary process didn't have the confidence of the Jewish community. He said, I'd made it a mission to root out anti-Semitism within the party. I know I'll be judged on actions, not words. But Karen, I mean, this is a pickle for Keir Starmer. He's going to annoy someone whatever decision he'd made here. And it sounds like it's going to be a tricky one for the Corbynist side of the party and perhaps also the unions, Len McCluskey and his crowd. They weren't happy about the first expulsion and they certainly won't be happy about this one. No, absolutely. I mean, it's a mess. It's just something that you have to get through swiftly uh, and hope that not too much attention is paid to it, obviously, in the middle of the pandemic. Um, But look, let's move on and talk about something else. I'm already penning my festive season lists. I'm booking up my Christmas shopping uh, slots uh, on uh, the supermarket websites. (laughs) And yet the government is being tight-lipped about what I want to know about the rules over the holiday period, over Christmas. Now, the business secretary, Alex Sharma, says that it is still too early to say what restrictions there will be but he wanted to have as normal uh, a Christmas as possible in the UK that follows newspaper reports that families will be allowed to mix for five days uh, from Christmas Eve so there you have it the betting begins about how many days of freedom we may have over that holiday slot yeah, it's something I'm watching incredibly keenly as a man who's trying to get to France for Christmas. I'm certainly oh, not making this ambitious. easy for myself. I know, I know. We watch with interest. And then we have this story around Brexit. Police chiefs 
warning that a no-deal Brexit would cause major operational damage to their ability to fight crime and terrorism. They say crucial tools used a million times a year would be lost, their replacements would be slower and less effective. And then separately, the Department for Education telling schools to stock up on longer shelf-life products in preparation for possible changes to the supply chain from the 1st of January. A lot of response there from the unions. They're not happy about the government trying to push this responsibility onto schools when they have very little to do with the Brexit process. I just hope everybody likes UHT milk. Yeah, absolutely. Hoarding alarm bells ringing. Uh, Dido, meanwhile, isolating. So on the virus, the head of the NHS test and trace system has been notified by the app that she needs to self-isolate. This is Dido Harding, of course, having shared a screenshot of the message, which has advised her to quarantine until Thursday next week. She insists that she is feeling well and has tweeting, tweeted, nothing like personal experience of your own <laughs> products. There you go. That's a roundup of all that is uh, all the other stories to watch in politics. Yeah, well, we send our best to Dido Harding, but I'm glad the app is at least working for one person. Uh, let's move it on. Talk about the vaccine. Pfizer saying that a key safety milestone has been reached in its development of a COVID-19 vaccine. The pharma giant now seeking an emergency use authorization. But then even if we get a vaccine, any vaccine, even if it's safe, even if it's effective, we have to deal with possible side effects. Another headache coming down the line for the government. So joining us to talk about this is Bloomberg Opinions, Therese Raphael. Um, Therese, when are we going to know in the whole process of this what these side effects actually are? Well, we have now a couple of months of safety data, which is what Pfizer is using to ask for its emergency use authorization. And that says quite a lot because the kind of vaccine that we're talking about are likely to uh, give us side effects pretty soon after we're injected. Um, so they're not expecting sort of longer effects. But there's a caveat. Two months of safety data is just not a lot. Traditionally, you know, there's a very long process that vaccines go through and the uh, companies and the regulators would, would have much longer periods of on which to make their decisions. So the expectation is that the side effects and may, basically what we're talking about are sort of the kinds of things you might experience after a flu vaccine, but a little bit worse. Mild to moderate fever, uh, some aches and pains, that kind of thing. And some of us will experience those. They will be uh, worse than we have with a average flu far that's as it seems and the question is really what the government is going to do to monitor those effects to, to, to set expectations and to feed them back to uh to people so that uh you know principally so that they'll be willing to take a vaccine that is declared and is safe not yeah by these side effects yeah absolutely i mean this sounds like something to send the anti-vaxxers into overdrive how are the authorities then planning to try to monitor all of this. Yeah, it absolutely will anti-vaxxers. They trawl these websites on which you record what are called adverse drug reactions quite avidly, and uh, those will be used to, to, to sort of spin uh, against vaccine. Now, the U.S., uh, the, the Center for Disease Control and the Food and Drug Administration have plans to very actively monitor and uh, survey people who have vaccines. You know, some will be given text messages on a daily basis for the first week. The U.K. Uh, Medicines uh, and Health Products uh, Agency has commissioned new, uh, new AI software to help it measure uh, and monitor the 
adverse reactions. It's not clear exactly how it's going to work, how it differs from the existing yellow card system, but they're clearly expecting uh, a much higher number, much higher volume of reports of adverse reactions than they've ever seen before. And they're gearing up for it. And we you know, will need to hear a little bit more about what that entails. Interesting stuff. And your column is, of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal and on the Bloomberg website. On that very subject, let's talk about the Green Plan as well, the Green Industrial Revolution, as the Conservatives love to call it. Um, I mean, the conversation that we've had both on air and off air today really has been around the money, the £12 billion, the less than the third of that, though, that is actually new money. Is the UK investing enough in all of this? The plans sound very ambitious, but does the money match up? So if we're just talking about the money, it sounds um, like like this has not been enough. You know, it sounds like we're we're using a sort of squirt gun against a a tank here. If you compare to what France is spending um, or what Germany is spending, but I think you know the, what the government will argue is that there, it's not just the quantum of measures; it's the way that the measures are geared, amplifying um, an incentive private sector investment. And that will produce, uh, Downing Street argues, sort of three times the level of investment. Um, I think there, there will also be potentially more announcements to come. We've got Rishi Sunak's spending review uh, next week. We have a, a long-promised energy white paper coming at the end of the month that sets out how the government is going to meet its 2050 net zero target. So we may not hear, you know, have heard uh, the last of it. I think what's important here, though, is that there's a real shift in tone from the conservatives. Um, It's no longer just sort of tokenism when it comes to climate policy, but they've actually set out quite a broad agenda, and they will be measured against that. They will be held accountable for how much of those targets they meet. So even if, you know, the the amount being spent now is, is... Clearly too little. Uh, Boris Johnson has has set out a headline. He's put um, you know he's put himself on the line on a number of uh, of, of factors from you know electronic vehicles to you know decarbonizing homes, and and that's going to have a, a knock on effect in terms of government policy going forward. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I mean, look, government always wants its spending to boost private sector funds. Um, But then speaking of which, banning petrol and diesel cars by 2030, so 10 years earlier than France, um, uh, and also this idea of zero emission planes. How realistic is all of that? I mean, the infrastructure for EV vehicles isn't is not really there. What about one percent of vehicles at the moment are electric vehicles in the UK? We've got a long way to go. Yeah, we have a very long way to go, and I think it you know it, it is putting a lot on the private sector to say you know here's the target, you sort it out. Mm. Um, they will need to incentivize quite heavily and probably more than they have already those kinds of shifts, and yet you know. Setting an ambitious target is the you know absolute um, you know, minimum required to, to get there. So if they don't set the target, you know we, we'll be even further from it. Um, but uh, the, the the net uh, zero target for 2050 is just still a long. We're still a long way from from, from reaching it. The uh, climate change committee report and other reports have said that we've, we've just underinvested massively to meet that target. So that's why the energy white paper, the budget announcements, all of these things are now going to be measured against these new um, these new goals and that net 2050 target. Don't forget we've got the climate 
summit in one year's time. So that is going to be where um, Britain's record is going to be held up uh, as a measure of just how serious it is. Yeah, the government definitely keeping an eye on that event. Uh, and then what about the politics of all of this? I mean, the environment is often regarded as a softer issue. Is this going to alienate some of the people in maybe the Midlands and the North, the new Tory voters who are perhaps expecting other things from the party? Well, the government is pitching it as a boon to the North, of course, because it's saying that it will invest in the old industrial areas of the North. Um, it will, you know, put in carbon um, uh carbon storage facilities there, wind turbines, uh, spending money on retrofitting houses and buildings uh, for decarbonizing them. It just really remains to be seen whether they will buy into that. I mean, a a tax on roads, for example, is going to really hit the wallets of those who have to commute for work. Many people might have already bought electronic vehicles, so they might resent that. But I do think that the arguments against this kind of agenda um, you know, are, are really diminishing over time and that that will cut through even in the North. So, you know, you even see in the, in the Daily Mail, their editorial, you know, they, they're no longer arguing against measures to fight climate change. It, mainly the argument is on cost grounds, yeah. that the government can find a way to show that it's cost effective. You know, yeah. that may cut through. But uh, that, that's the political job that Boris Johnson still has to yeah. do. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers and innovators leading the way from design and culture to technology, science and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions. July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.